At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. Here we are again for Political Breakfast. I'm Lisa Ram. Democratic strategist Theron Johnson is here, of course. Brian Robinson is off today. So in his place, we have Martha Zoller, talk show host on WDUN in Gainesville, and conservative political strategist. strategist. Theron, always, Theron good always good to chat, good to chat with, with you, with Martha. You, Martha. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. I understand the two of the two you are old friends, friends, right? right? We are. We are. Oh, yeah, we agree to disagree a lot, but good to be with you. <laughs> and and that works, doesn't it? And, you know, to top things off today, we have a special guest joining us as well, uh, Dr. Tammy Greer, Clark Atlanta Professor of Political Science and Civic Education and Engagement Enthusiast. Welcome. So good to have you as well. You you have been quoted everywhere in every paper <laughs> in, in the United States uh, recently uh, due to uh, the election season. So we're glad to have you as well. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. You know, as I mentioned, uh, you've spent a lot of time these past few months studying the demographics and, and the political shifts here in Georgia. And I want to start by having you talk about the demographic shifts when it comes to the mayoral race. You know, the latest census numbers are certainly a way of dictating how important they will be when it comes to Capitol Hill or, or the Georgia State Capitol, right? But what trends are emerging in a race, a local race that is less than eight weeks away? So this is exciting uh, on many different levels. Uh, number one, we have uh, a ton of candidates inside of the race for mayor. Uh, number two, you have a former mayor who wants to come back for a third term. Um, and number three, we have uh, the large, it, it seems relatively small, yet in the scheme of voting, um, it's a large shift in the demographics inside of the city of Atlanta, where you have um, the black population that uh, for many decades was the clear majority has now decreased to a bare majority inside of the city. Um, and you have a shift of uh, black uh, residents moving to the suburbs. Um, and so you see that the, the area surrounding the city of Atlanta is much more diverse than it has been in many decades. Um, and the city of Atlanta, though, is moving to a space where you have an increasing white population and a decreasing black population, um, which, um, as George Will said um, in the last mayoral race, could be one of the opportunities for the city of Atlanta to have a white mayor uh, for the first time um, since um, before Maynard Jackson. So it'll be interesting to see what the demographic shift mean, not just for who is mayor, also what type of mayor uh, becomes uh, the next mayor for the city of Atlanta. 
Well, you touched on this quickly, the undercurrent uh, in this mayoral race. Is there one when it comes to race? You know, thinking back to, what, 2017, there was this this underlying feeling that maybe Atlanta should be led by a white mayor. Mary Norwood was a candidate back then. And, and this time around, you have Sharon Gay, but I, I don't know if the same feeling is there. What, what are your thoughts regarding that? It doesn't appear, it does not appear that the that the same undercurrent from 2017 is here um, in 2021. Um, the reason it does not feel that way, um, multiple reasons. Um, so you have um, the economic boom in housing and influx of new residents moving inside of the city. You have the, the shift back uh, prior to the recession as to the cost of living inside of the city. Um, you have um, multifamily units, these large apartment complexes and communities of, of townhomes and condos moving up um, all across the city. So you have um, an increase in, in folks moving into the city that have um, a larger income base than legacy residents do. Uh, which brings its own type of politics, right? So sometimes the politics of, of, of this space that we're currently in in Atlanta may not necessarily be focused on race. It could be focused on economics. And even though economics and race are close siblings of each other um, in many aspects inside of the city, the focus on economics may um, take more of a precedence than race, um, yet, with a full understanding that inside of the city of Atlanta, the average black family um, income is about 35,000 a year and the average white family is over $102,000 a year. And you have a 30% poverty rate of black people inside of the city, about an 8% poverty rate of white people inside of the city. So this um, has a large component to it, um, but even people who may be um, have the the means may still focus on the economic space um, and the close sibling of race being second. But I think that um, I think that the way that folks are um, crafting their messages, the candidates, they're focused more on the economics of the city rather than a racial component. Dr. Greer, thank you so much for joining us today, and thank you for your service to my alma mater, Clark Atlanta University, which is the best university in the world. And Lisa, Lisa, I'm really on this tip of everything is the best in the world these days. Um, where I'm a yeah. proud I member like of the Clark, yeah. For <laughs> I'm sure. a proud member of the Board of Trustees. Um, <laughs> and so um, thank you for for uh, all your service there. Um, before I get my question, just to be fully disclosed on the show, and most of our listeners know this, uh, I was a campaign manager for Kasim Reed in 2009 and also kind of came on as a general consultant to elect Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms in 2017. And so I kind of preface my statement of question with that as someone who's, a, quite frankly, elected the last two mayors of the city of Atlanta. Um, one thing I also want to make sure our listeners know is that we've had 48 years of black leadership in this city. Maynard Jackson was elected mayor in 1973, and he just didn't do it because of black people voted for him. It's As Dr. Uh, Greer alluded to, is that it's this coalition of voters in Atlanta that have come together, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, LGBTQ plus neighborhoods, business community, all these different entities have played a key role in electing the mayor. So that leads me to my question. And as we know that while the city of Atlanta has become whiter, 
the majority of registered voters in the city of Atlanta are black voters. And so as someone who's witnessed a 714 victory, and I think it was 800 and something, maybe 829 vote victory with Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, the first one being Mayor Reed, what do you think the candidates are going to have to talk about beyond crime? We know that's the preeminent issue, but with still being this sort of unpredictable um, mood of the voters right now. But what do you think the number two issue that will kind of you know, go to the forefront as this this campaign continues to grow? Sure. Housing. Housing. Housing is 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 um, is is crazy inside of the city. Um, if the average one bedroom apartment is eighteen hundred dollars a month and the average two bedroom is twenty four hundred dollars a month and the average single family home is three hundred and fifty one thousand a month, then it's housing. Um, the question becomes, number one, how can that be sustainable uh, when we're looking at um, the number of, again, single family homes going up in, in certain communities, multifamily homes, um, in particular apartment complexes that, that appear to come out of the ground every three days. So you have housing as a factor um, because the question then becomes, um, is there sustainable employment inside of the city to where people could be able to afford to live in these spaces? And if they are not able to work in the city, um, are, is there employment opportunity, um, an employment opportunity for that individual uh, just outside of the city? Because then um, transportation becomes the second issue. Uh, with housing comes transportation. If people are not able to get to work, how can they work to be able to afford to live in these spaces. And my um, concern as a political scientist and someone who originally studied um, th the influx and impact the political economy of, of gentrification that has on outside areas, we come to a space where will this be cyclical? In the next 20 years, in the, the next generation, will this be cyclical in that the city of Atlanta will then have all of these housing um, spaces, these apartment complexes, yet they don't have people to afford them anymore because people then will move out to the suburbs back again. Um, and then the city then becomes a depressed living area with blighted um, multifamily units. So we have to be careful of how we have the housing component because there are ebbs and flows. The pendulum can and will shift back. And will the city be prepared for that? So these short-term gains that we may get and we may celebrate may impact us in the long run. And then it seems like we're just um, on a hamster wheel from an economic standpoint. And that's what we need to get a, a hold of. Yeah, and com compounding the housing issues, the evictions and the foreclosures that, that are starting to happen. Uh, Martha, are, are you in agreement with that? Because we were chatting earlier that it seems, it seems that crime is the only thing on the minds of, of Atlantans right now. You know, I think it's the preeminent issue, no doubt about it. I mean, the, if people don't feel safe, none of those other things are, are, I'm not saying they're not important, but if you don't feel safe, you don't have a safe place to live. You don't, you can't get to work safely. I mean, there's, there's all of that. Um, I got two questions. One, if I'm recalling correctly, Mary Norwood was a much better known 
candidate than the female, the white female candidate that's running this time. I don't know who she is, really. Yeah, Sharon Gay. So I think that's an issue because Mary had a long record and she came pretty close, if I recall correctly. So I think she had more of a following and then that was an issue there. But I was wondering if this is what we're seeing in cities across the country, this kind of demographic shift, because I I worked for Senator Purdue a number of years ago. And one of the things I did is I met with people who were unhappy with us. That was my job. And and there was a couple that had come in. They were double income, no kids. They'd moved here from San Francisco. Um, They had amazing jobs and they were so thrilled with this 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 house they had bought in this neighborhood. And I won't say which neighborhood or anything, but it was one of the up and coming gentrification neighborhoods. And what was interesting about it is there wasn't a thought about the poor people that had been pushed out so they could get this screaming deal on a house, they thought, you know, compared to San Francisco prices. Um, So I think it's a big issue. And we're seeing growth in places like my town of Gainesville because people are moving out of Atlanta and coming to places like Gainesville. Part of the the growth that is expanding inside of Georgia overall has to do with, you know, um, Georgia being a premier place to be. So you have industry moving here um, and industry moves here for many reasons. Number one, um, for the climate, uh, right? It's relatively mild year round. Um, You have um, the space to expand businesses. Um, You have the movie industry, obviously, that has moved here and the ripple effect because of the movie industry. So you have people um, who international and national headquarters are also moving to Georgia. And so you have um, individuals that come from the West Coast and the East Coast who are accustomed to extreme extremely high prices when it comes to their homes. So moving here, it's like, oh, that's nothing, right? That's that's it, that's all it is, right? And so because of that, then yes, it looks good for me. Um, and no, there is no um, thought about who who had to be displaced in order for me to, right? And then the concern comes in, again, going back to the ebbs and flow, the concern comes when that same couple that moved here from San Francisco then relocates again to a different city. Um, And how how many multipliers of that particular couple are there inside of the city, right? So they aren't necessarily looking at the city as a place to call home versus it is a place to be on on a stop because I got a job or it's trendy now to live inside the city, right? Is there, um, do they have the long-term thought process as others do to say, this is my home um, and not a real estate transaction? So that is of great concern. Well, and the impact too on the people that are left in the neighborhoods that have been there a long time and what happens to their property taxes and all of that. I remember reading an article where a a woman said, I love the fact that everybody's taking care of the homes now, but I can barely afford the taxes now. So that's a huge issue too. But getting back to the mayor's race, you know, I, you know, I think it's got to be Mayor Reeds to, former Mayor Reeds to lose uh, because he's the best known person in the race. He, he has, he can, he has the message on safety. It was a safer time. That picture of him standing in the highway, uh, you know, dealing with the protesters directly uh, is something that p- will resonate with people, and especially those new people that have moved in, uh, and he will get those voters that maybe he didn't have 10 years ago. 
It'll be interesting to see polling. You know, when is that going to kick in? Is that going to kick in soon? You know, we got the the election weeks away and haven't seen a lot of polling, you know, regarding this uh, mayoral race. With um, the people that are coming in, they've they have benefited from the form, former mayor's policies in terms of the city. So, you know, to tout for the former mayor to tout, you know, this old fourth ward looks the way it looks because of or um, the belt line has expanded and it expanded under my leadership. All of these factors um, aid to his favor. So I agree with that point. Yeah, but I think we have to be careful because while, yes, he he did a lot of good things, right? But I've seen polling, Lisa, and be some new polling that comes out that will, mm-hmm. will definitely sort of contradict what we've heard on the show. Now, let's be let's be honest. There's been polling that have been out recently. WXA did a poll that had the former mayor at 13%. There are many people that say that if you've actually been in the city for eight years and you're a two-term mayor and you're at 13%, that's got to be concerning. There was also another poll that came out uh, that Andre Dickens' campaign has released that showed Andre in the lead, right? I saw a Twitter poll that showed Antonio Brown in the lead. Um, And I've actually seen polls that actually has Felicia Moore in the lead. And so I think we got to be careful on the show not to just show too much favoritism because I think that these other candidates definitely listen to this podcast. And while (laughs) conventional wisdom does give the mayor, former mayor Edge, I will say that based on name recognition, that's what Dr. Greer is hinting at, is that Mm -hmm. based on name recognition, he definitely has that advantage. But also I think we cannot take credit away from Mayor Bottoms, who, by the way, is still very popular. People are concerned about her uh, issue around handling crime, but overall I've seen internal polling, and candidates have seen this too, that we still have a very popular mayor who's up in the 70% as far as popularity. So I'll be interested to see how she chooses to engage in this race. But my question to Dr. Greer is this. All right, crime, um, affordability, and I would probably say homelessness, we all agree that those are you know the top three issues. How important is ethics, um, investigations, voting records, um, you know, the ability to work across the aisle, uh, to work with the county, work with the state, uh, people who have been indicted, people who are under federal investigation. How would those issues that voters, quite frankly, are aware of, but probably not have not been escalated just yet because people haven't really put it on television beyond someone fixing our issue with crime, which is the number one issue? How do you think all those things that I just brought out is going to play in this marriage race? Great question. Um, that's one of my um, research projects I am uh, looking forward to. And that is whether or not voters overall um, care is not the proper term. So um, forgive me for using the word. Um, whether or not someone has ethical challenges, um, legal challenges, if work is getting done. So sometimes there's a trade-off, right? If I, as your representative, am doing one, two, three, four, and five that you say is at the top of your agenda or at the top of your list of concerns, and I am getting those things done, do we really, again, I hate to use the word care, but do we really care um, that some people may be upset at some of the tactics that I have taken in order to get those things accomplished? Um, and that's one of the challenges that we have to to work through is, um, is there a person that can have the the high ethical standard that we um, espouse that our elected officials should have? 
um, and get things done. Or if push comes to shove, if we have someone that can get things done, yet may have some ethical challenges, um, do we take that person over the person that may have a clean record and no ethical, um, have a clean record, yet don't have the list of accomplishments? So I, while I appreciate, you know, that we want the high ethical standards, um, it appears as though Sometimes the getting things done, particularly if it concerns me, crime, affordability, if those things concern me, then I want the person that appears to show that leadership, that bravado to get it done. And that's where I'll be. Martha, we were chatting about that earlier. You're you're in line with that, aren't you? Sometimes I am. Just, I am. I mean, I don't jokingly, matter to get the job done. Right? I know. And I mean, look, I'm not I'm not supporting anyone in this race. I'm just trying to analyze it. And, you know, I jokingly say the bumper sticker for Kasim Reed ought to be I may be corrupt, but I kept you safe and that that's, you know, that's what's going to be. And I think most people think it's going to be Mayor Reed and someone else in the runoff. Now, we could be totally surprised. When you're talking about a race that's got this many people in it, you just don't know how it's going to come out. You remember in 2002 when Sonny Perdue had six people in the governor's race and he won the primary without a runoff. That was like unheard of at the time, but it can happen. So, you know, I think that in lieu of polling and that sort of thing, I think it'll all depend on who gets out, right? I mean, who can get their supporters out? This will be a small turnout relatively speaking, and it'll be who gets their voters out. And that's what it always is, isn't it? It is. And and what's really sad is (laughs) the fact that we're having this conversation. You know, I work for Congressman John Lewis, who was the most ethical, most transparent uh, leader I ever worked for besides Barack Obama. And I would say Michael Mm -hmm. Thurman is in there as well. I I, Mm -hmm. I work for some good leaders, right? But all of those individuals, they cared about ethics. They cared about transparency. They care about making sure that they didn't do anything that could be looked at as inappropriate. I don't, I, di- I slightly disagree. I don't think voters are going to just turn a blind eye and say that if there are candidates, not just one candidate, running for mayor who has some ethics challenges, who's got some issues with their disclosures, who's got some issues with how they voted on a particular issue dealing with funding the police, um, to, you know, just ignore all of that because you know, if that's the case, then we have been totally desensitized as voters, right? Because I do believe that there are voters out there that care about the conduct in which, and then one thing again, not to turn this into about Mayor Bottoms, but no one talks about the fact that she inherited a very, very difficult government at the time. While we praise a candidate who's running for mayor for things he's done, I agree with you, Dr. Greer, and Martha, you're right, you've heard me praise him before, but let's not forget the fact that Mayor Bottoms inherited a, an administration that was under federal investigation. From the start, right. Well, and I and to your point about the people you worked for, Theron, and I would love to know what Dr. Greer thinks, is that whether you're the uh, first woman, the first black person, the first whatever of your group that is in an office like President Obama was, like in many ways John Lewis was, even though he wasn't the first, but he he was one of the most notable. Uh, Michael Thurman in many cases was the first black man to hold a particular job that he had. I've been the first woman in a lot of things I've done throughout my life. You feel a lot more, I think, tied to being sure you don't make any mistakes ethically or otherwise, because you feel like you have to be even better than an average person would have to be 
to be able to get through that. Yeah, but that should be the standard for everybody. It should. I agree with you. I agree with you. And and, and that's kind of where I'm going. And, and listen, it's something that I considered when I was thinking about running for mayor, right? Because I knew that if I ran for mayor, all of my comments on Political Breakfast, all of my comments on Georgia Gang, all the quotes that I've made for the last 20 years will be studied with a magnifying glass, Would right? So you, I had to make sure, sure that all of my clients that I represented, that these were good clients. I just don't believe that voters are going to totally ignore, and, and you're right, uh, Dr. Greer, we shouldn't say don't care, that if a candidate, he or she, is good on one thing, but they have five things that are questionable, that they're just going to totally ignore it, I think it's going to come down to self-preservation, um, what matters to them most in that particular moment. And keep in mind, we all agree on this, is that while polling is important to guide your spending and your resources, this race is still far from over. A lot of these campaigns like Felicia Moore, Antonio Brown and others haven't really engaged in a sort of robust pay way. We're still waiting to see what the Dickens campaign is going to do. But I will agree that Mary knows how to win elections. He knows it better than anyone. And that's why you see him up on television. A white male. I think I saw a white woman. Not sure if I saw Asian Hispanic, but he understands that he's got to be the, the person that is strong on crime. But to Dr. Greer's point, who's going to step up and be the candidate that's going to be strong on housing. And I think therein lies an opportunity in a lane for that second place or first place finisher in this November 2nd race. So, Dr. Greer, is that what has to happen? We have this large pool of, what, 14 candidates and, and I think now two write-in candidates. Uh, what must the candidates do to appeal to the large part of the electorate? Um, so part of uh, what I, uh, as a political enthusiast, um, and, and engagement person uh, is to in uh, for them to connect dots, right? So if you are connecting how housing connects to crime, um, if you connect how employment and housing and crime connect, even though the the city itself does not have um, direct oversight or engagement with Atlanta Public Schools, yet can still um, talk about coalition building, right? Um, building relationships with APS and having to go from schools to employment to housing and how that has an impact on crime. The candidate right. that can connect all of those dots um, could be very successful um, if there's a connection of dots. Um, also, the candidates um, or the candidate who is able to be more than just a little bit coy uh, with talking about ethical challenges of the of other candidates in the race, because um, I've heard some of the candidates, you know, be a little bit shy about calling a spade a spade. Um, and if you they get to a space um, where it may be close or it, it looks like there is an opportunity, um, and and to call a thing a thing. Um, then maybe that will have some traction, yet it depends on how far out they do that. Um, because if they wait too late, um, if they wait you know, after October 13th, when early voting begins, then there could be some, some challenges with it, it all being for naught, right? Raising these issues um, and it didn't have an impact on the voters. So I, I just really think that people need to, candidates as well as voters, um, if we could focus on, a holistic approach rather just a one or two or, or three issue matter, um, then that could help us uh, to elect officials that are looking at the entire community rather than just parts and pieces of us. Dr. Tammy Greer-Clark, 
Atlanta professor of political science is our special guest today. I understand you could stick around, right? Yes. We thought you had to leave, but you could stay with us. Yes. Great. Okay, when we return, we're going to chat about who endorsed who in the upcoming uh, U.S. Senate race, and is that signaling the state GOP is still very divided? We'll be right back after this. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back to Political Breakfast. Before we return to our conversation, I want to tell you about our new podcast, The Brief from WABE. Don't have a lot of time to follow Metro Atlanta news? That's okay. Every weekday evening, WABE's award-winning reporters bring you up to speed with news stories and short interviews. And each episode is only 10 minutes. And on Saturdays, enjoy a deeper dive with WABE's Weekend Review. That's The Brief from WABE. Listen for free wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to our chat. We were just uh, hashing over the uh, Atlanta mayoral race that is just uh, weeks away, but uh, now time to talk about uh, the GOP here in the state of Georgia. And uh, Martha Zoller sitting in for Brian Robinson today. I see you you shaking your head because his endorsements came through left and right last week. And, and what is that signaling to us about uh, the uh, GOP at this point? Well, I mean, Certainly, there are a lot of candidates, as you would expect. There's an open seat in the lieutenant governor's race. There's a there's a um, a desire to get back the seat uh, that Raphael Warnock is holding, uh, and there's a lot of candidates out there. And of course, as expected, uh, the former president got involved in the Senate race with endorsing Herschel Walker, and in the lieutenant governor's race, endorsing. Burt Jones, which was interesting because Burt Jones of the three people that are running was not the person that supported the president the most uh, during that time. Uh, Jeannie Seaver, who's considered kind of a dark horse candidate, uh, worked much harder for Donald Trump than any, you know, anybody else. And uh, Butch Miller kind of shepherded the Senate Bill 202 through. So so it's an interesting choice there. But does is the party still divided? I think it's less divided than it was um, in January. Uh, you see that changing, but certainly it's a concern. And I think that also Democrats ought to be concerned because for the first time in a generation, there are multiple candidates for all the constitutional offices uh, on the on the Democrat side, with the exception of governor, which we're not still waiting to hear what Stacey Abrams is going to do. Uh, and so there's not a lot of focus on those candidates uh, and they're not getting in the news it much. And I bet a lot of people couldn't even name who they are. So if I'm a Democrat, I'm as concerned about all the, the 600 pound uh, elephant in the room of Donald Trump as as um, Republicans are. Oh, my God. Lisa, listen, 
I, I want Donald Trump to continue to just cause havoc in Georgia with the Georgia GOP because that's exactly what he's doing. Look, I love my friend Martha and we often have conversations that again, while we agree to disagree, uh, it's very civil. I think what you're seeing, Lisa, is a complete circus right now in the Georgia GOP. And let's just go through a few examples. Number one, we've known, as Martha indicated, and she's always an insider. I go to her a lot for, um, you know, Republican inside information when she chooses to, to share it with me. <laughs> um, but we knew that Herschel Walker was going to be endorsed by former President Trump. We knew that it was highly likely that Senator Burt Jones, who's now running for lieutenant governor, is going to get endorsed by Donald Trump. It's not the endorsement that really is the shocking news for us in politics. It's really the candidates are willing to take the good with the bad with a Trump endorsement. While it definitely helps you in a Republican primary, we still know that 80 plus percent of Republican voters, I think it's still close to 90 percent, say that they support Donald Trump in the Georgia, uh, Georgia Republican Party. However, where he hurts you is when you get to a general election, which is why as a Democrat, I am not that worried about Donald Trump's present here, presence here, because I think what the Republicans are going to have to manage is, is that he's already proven to them that he can be disruptive, right? He's already interfering in a Republican primary, which, by the way, is a rule that former presidents stayed away from. You have never really seen a Democratic president, unless it was, you know, a couple close races where it really depended on the future of that state or that 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 city get involved in a primary. Usually former presidents wait for the nominee to be chosen. Usually everyone waits for the nominee yeah. to be chosen. <laughs> and so I think that's what's so unusual about this whole situation. Uh, but but herein lies the challenge that Martha's pointing out. And I've said this on the show, Lisa, you may remember, I reminded our, our my Democratic listeners that we better be prepared to have a very uncomfortable, real conversation. I love what Dr. Yeah. Gurr said earlier, you know, when are you going to call the thing the thing, right? Yeah, and the thing men, in this race yeah. is going to be African-Americans, black voters, Latino voters, Asian voters. You continue to vote with the Democratic Party in an overwhelming number. But now we have black candidates on the GOP side. Are you going to vote just because of race or are you going to vote on the issues? And I, and I think therein lies the challenge for Democrats to continue to make sure that we amplify the issues that we're leading that matter to voters of color. And if we mm -hmm. don't continue to do that, then you're going to see the black male vote for Republicans continue to inch up. But ultimately, I think we're in a good position. Stacey Abrams is going to make her decision when she's ready to make it. But if she doesn't run, we've had a few people on this show and others that have been mentioned that I think will be able to step up right away and really be a dem good Democratic nominee uh, to go up against the governor, lieutenant governor, and all the way down the ticket. All right. Uh, still wait and see there. But uh, back to the Senate race, the Ag Agriculture Commissioner, Gary Black, won the endorsement of uh, former Governor Nathan Deal and former Congressman Doug Collins. Dr. Greer, do you think that endorsement, those endorsements, Trump, Trump's endorsement of uh, Herschel Walker? Uh, it, it could uh, in the long run because um, because they are Georgia Republicans. They understand the politics of Georgia. Um, and that may not necessarily uh, all the way go to the right, that there, um, there's some moderation there with some of um, the Georgia policies, even though there are exceptions um, to, to both parties when it comes to um, the extreme, the, the, the far ends. Um, so um, that may be more helpful, particularly if you look in areas that are closer to the suburbs 
um, and in the suburbs of those Republican voters, then then you could have um, you know uh, those endorsements that matter mo more. One of my uh, areas is, is is state and local overall, which also is is beyond urban areas. It's also in rural areas, um, and I would challenge. Uh, both parties to actually engage in the voters that are in the opposing spaces that they feel most comfortable with. Um, because when you look at the rural voters, rural voters actually have a lot more in common in urban areas uh, with the urban voters than um, on that's what's on their face, right? Um, and uh, when parties, political parties are dismissive of the voters that do not appear to be their base, um, then you can have um, what appears to be, um, and I challenge the phrase divided um, in our country, um, because we're choosing mm -hmm. to stay in our spaces rather than to engage people um, that may ask us tough questions, yet um, are the constituents that, that you still um, you know, help to govern. So I would challenge both to 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 look beyond what's their comfort, um, because those other votes matter. You know, um, Lisa and Theron and Dr. Greer, it's it's I love your point about getting out and, and looking at all the voters, because um, whether it's Gary Black, who, interestingly enough, not only has Nathan Deal and um, Doug Collins, he has a long list of sheriffs. And one of the things I learned in my race was that a sheriff has a lot more ability to shift a vote or move a vote your way in a lot of cases than other elected officials in the counties. Mm. So he's got that going for him. He also has been on the ballot statewide a number of times and has mm -hmm. people that have voted for him a number of times. He's also going to be first on the list. Okay. And that that's, I think about three and a half percent right there. Um, as far as the younger candidates that we haven't mentioned, Latham Sadler and Kelvin King, Latham Sadler has has you know raised a lot of money. He's got national security chops. He's a Navy former Navy SEAL, um, and in in this climate we're in, dealing with Afghanistan and that kind of thing, that's appealing. But Kelvin King just he's an African American out of the Air Force Academy and just finished a 159 tour, county tour. To your point, uh, Dr. Greer, I used to travel the state for Senator Purdue, and I would go to these counties that I was the first person from a Senate office that had shown up in that county in years and hundreds of people would come to hear me because no one from the Senate office had ever been there. And mm -hmm. so but for, for Kelvin King to make that commitment to go to all 159 counties uh, showed a lot as far as things go. I don't know if it'll translate into votes, but to your point, it's reaching out to those voters in counties that get ignored. Is it worth mentioning Governor Kemp? He got a lot of uh, endorsements, but not that big one from Donald Trump. So no surprises there, right? He won't get that one. And maybe that's uh, good because he has kind of ridden that line pretty well. And um, he is the first Republican governor that's been a Republican his whole life. Uh, he has governed conservatively and he's been bold in the decisions he's made. A lot of people may not agree with them. But to your point, Dr. Greer, about the economy's getting good, com companies are coming here, jobs are coming here. He's got a case to make on why he should be reelected. Aaron, I see you. Uh, He's making fun of me. Yeah, Aaron's making I, I, fun I of me. I see you over there, Theron. We're, we're almost out of time. We're going to give you the last word, the last thought today. <laughs> so good. It was because, Lisa, you know, you asked a question that I think a lot of GOP voters have got to ask themselves. Do I choose a governor 
who once was endorsed by the former president, right? Actually, correct me if I'm wrong, Martha, many Republicans say that if then gubernatorial candidate for governor, Brian Kemp didn't receive the endorsement of former president Donald Trump, that he would not have made you know, the nomination, like Casey Cagle probably would have would have made it, right? I mean... Uh, it, it, we were pulling, and I was on that campaign at that time. Okay. I was his chief surrogate. We were pulling ahead in the polling, and that was kind of what pushed the president to go ahead and get involved because he likes to support winners. But he's taken some chances in these races. Yeah, so, you know, the, 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 the Trump endorsement helped him win the primary governor. Mm -hmm. Now you turn around later, at least three years later, and the governor is not going to get the endorsement of the former president, right? And probably, mm -hmm. in some respects, we'll never admit to this, probably is okay with not having it because I go back to how it's going to matter in November and which Dr. Mm -hmm. Greer pointed out as far as rural voters. The other thing I would say is I think once they get past the GOP nomination and let's say that Herschel Walker is not the nominee, let's say that Burt Jones is not the nominee and if, and it's the other people, then what, what do – what would Donald Trump do then? Wouldn't he continue to engage to put party over personal politics or would he become more disruptive and tell his Republican voters to stay at home and that the election was stolen and they shouldn't come out and vote for the nominees? And that's what happened in January. Right. So that so that's what we got to wait and kind of see uh, to, to see what will happen with with this former president. All right. We'll leave it there. Uh... Martha Zoller, talk show host on WDUN in Gainesville and conservative political strategist. Thanks for guest hosting today. And uh, Dr. Tammy Greer-Clark, Atlanta professor of political science, civic education, and engagement enthusiast. What a pleasure to have you and, and hear your insights as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, and in absence Darren, of, always good to see you too. Yeah, in the absence of Brian Robbins, <laughs> I got to say, go dogs! Big win for them this weekend. <laughs> big win, big win, big win. All right, that wraps up this edition of Political Breakfast. Uh, we hope you'll join us next week. Have a good one. Hey, y'all. I'm Mark Kendall. And I'm David Perdue. And we're the hosts of What's Good Atlanta, the new weekly comedy podcast from WABE. On What's Good Atlanta, we run down uplifting and unusual headlines from the universe known as Atlanta. And while we may not be journalists, we are comedians, and we'll be breaking down news and breaking down the stories that make you smile. We're just trying to see what's good, Atlanta. Episodes drop Fridays at WABE.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I get mine from a guy named Craig. Shout out to Craig. Mm -hmm. WABE. Ever wondered where to find the best dumplings in town? Curious about Atlanta's obsession with lemon pepper? Join us on Savory Stories, a new podcast as we uncover the untold tales behind Atlanta's culinary scene. From the roots of your favorite dishes to the creators that bring them to life, we're diving deep into the heart of the city's food culture. Listen to Savory Stories at wabe.org slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. W-A-B-E.